This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. Spring is here, and that means it's time to get outside. Luckily, when I have a good audiobook ready, I can do two things at once. Take a walk in the sunshine and listen to a few more chapters. Not sure what audiobook to download next? The Last Word, written by Katie Burchill and narrated by Karen Cass, just released. It's an enemies-to-lovers rom-com that's perfect for fans of Bridget Jones's Diary. The heroine is a celebrity editor for the weekend glossy magazine of a big London newspaper, and her love interest is the features editor. The author is a former magazine editor herself for England's Country Life magazine, so it's fun seeing how she turns that real-life experience into a juicy fictional story. Start listening to The Last Word by Katie Burchill now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara Popinski, and today I'm honored to have on this year's Newbery Medal winner, Amina Lukman Dawson, author of Free Water, a lyrical, accessible, historical middle grade novel about two enslaved children's escape from a plantation and the many ways they find freedom. For those of you not familiar, receiving a Newbery Medal is like winning an Oscar for your children's book. So it's really exciting to get um, to speak about free water today. Um, Amina is the Newbery Medal and Coretta, Coretta Scott King award-winning and best-selling author of Free Water and the pictorial history book Images of America, African Americans of Petersburg. Her op-eds on race and popular culture have appeared in the Washington Post, the San Francisco Chronicle, and more. She and her husband and son reside in Arlington, Virginia. Amina, congratulations on your book awards, and thank you so much for being here today. Oh, I really appreciate your having me. Thank you so much. Yes, I have been thinking about the reading experience of Freewater and these characters um, ever since I put down the novel, um, and I kind of raced through it wanting to see um, what was going to happen. I'm just so invested in these characters. Can you tell listeners a little bit more about Free Water and sort of the world you've um, brought to life in this novel? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Free Water is a maroon community. And so imagine um, African-Americans uh, who were enslaved and in history, um, if they weren't near a place that was free, let's say a state that was near uh, a nearby, a location that was near a nearby free, lo- free place, then there were times when they would find the wilderness to um, find freedom and find ways to live there clandestinely. And so I used that negative of history and planted that in a swamp. And that is where free water, the community is based. And so you have this community that's been there, I think, for about 15 years, and they have both enslaved people who have managed to find freedom and are now self-emancipated, and some of their children who have never known enslavement. And so you have this interesting community where um, there are children who don't understand the the concept uh, fully of what enslavement is, and children who have experience enslavement and do and let the story begin there because the the conversations and the happenings are are meant to be interesting from that point yeah it's fascinating and it was interesting because um right before this i had read river sing me home by eleanor shearer which is an adult book and it's set in the caribbean but um Mm -hmm. it also kind of was bringing to life some of those like communities in swamps um, but in the Caribbean where people mm-hmm. fled and were trying to sort of start these communities. So I just thought that was so interesting because I really hadn't heard about 
this before. And I wondered for you kind of what was the inspiration or kind of where did you maybe read about this at first? Absolutely. I too first came to this information through um, studies of South America and the Caribbean. And so imagine I'm, I was in college and in a Latin American studies course and my professor just began speaking about maroons of the first Brazil. And then I later learned about Jamaica and others uh, in Suriname. And, and I, my mind was just blown. I thought it was the most incredible um, story to a piece of history. Um, it, it, to me, it, it helped to blur the line between what was free, what, what we considered free and what we considered enslaved. I'm like, no, this, then there were these maroons. And so um, I, and they were certainly free, but they were certainly living in the most unique context. And so of course that stayed in my head uh, for years later. And so when it came time, I wondered too, like you, did, were, were there instances of maroons in the United States? Um, and went to the library to find out. And of course, I ran into, like you, uh, Maroons of Jamaica and Maroons and other places. And it took me a while to come across what I found was um, Sylvia and Youth's work. Um, she wrote this wonderful book, which was the first I'd heard of, uh, of, of uh, a look at Maroons throughout the um, United States of America, enslaved places in the United States of America. And so as soon as her book came out, I ran and grabbed it. And she just, from chapter to chapter, talks about different, she's a historian, um, and she talks about um, different instances of maroon, maroonage, um, uh, be it very small uh, communities or or very, uh, very small instances to some larger instances. And one of the larger instances was the Great Dismal Swamp. And it just happened. So the Great Dismal Swamp is right here in the state where I live in, Virginia. It borders Virginia oh, wow. and North Carolina. And so as soon as I read that, I'm like, I found it. I found it. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> and, um, and I uh, raced uh, one to find out more about the Great Dismal Swamp, where it also happens that one of the foremost uh, archaeologists and experts on the Great Dismal Swamp, Marunage, is Daniel Sayers, and he's right here at American University. And so I went to him and asked for his research, and then asked, and he he would literally take archaeological digs down to these raised places in the Great Dismal Swamp with his students, and they would find, um, looking for and finding remnants of Marunage or Maroons that had lived there. And so I, of course, then went to the Maroon, to, to the Great Dismal Swamp, and, and between uh, Sylvia and Diouf and her sort of more global look at Maroons, um, uh, throughout the uh, the United States, uh, throughout the Southern United States, and through his work, I really was able to use um, all sorts those sorts of things as like an anchor um, to help me sort of piece together bits that could be used in a fiction, a, a work of fiction. Yes, maroons are not at all as as, as best we know. We're not as all uh, as developed as in Jamaica. In Jamaica or in Brazil, you can still find descendants of those maroon communities living on that same land, which is incredible to oh, me. Oh wow! Um, 
and their descendants still are can are there. They in in Jamaica there were maroon wars, and they won their sovereignty, um, and uh, which allowed them to exist uh, with it, with full knowledge of the authorities. Um, and so they they have incredible stories. And so reading about those stories as well helped to sort of call all sorts of things that allowed my imagination to kind of spark and incorporate that as well into my work. Um, and so um, and it, it, it ended up being a, a great place to to find, to be inspired and to do great storytelling. That's fascinating. And I'm wondering, I'm so fascinated by the idea of sort of the archaeological digs in there. When When you write about things like, you know, they had these complicated systems of keeping people in the book mm-hmm. they have this complicated system of keeping people um out of free water and like traps and bridges and all these different yeah. things was there any evidence of anything like that or is that more from your imagination well, well well part is absolutely based in truth and so imagine they in, in the great dismal swamp there was there's always been uh, knowledge that those who ran there found really ingenious ways to not be caught. So from digging uh, caves themselves to live within <laughs> to um, to finding these, uh, at least for Daniel Sayers, he, evidence he sees that there was some sort of protective, protective uh, border for them on these elevated lands. And wow. so he's been looking at sort of remnants of where they were finding um, uh, looks like fencing or things like that that could help protect them. And so, yes, uh, they did, the ingenuity was definitely there um, and that came from truth. But no, I absolutely added my flair when it came to adding the sky bridges. And, oh, okay. and uh, I love reading I, about which, that. Which um, for me, I added that and I understood that that was a departure from the history, but I, I absolutely felt like it, it, it felt appropriate because a lot of times when you read stories about enslaved African-Americans, um, it can be difficult to hear their voices as you sort of are sitting in fear of what victimization or what, what, what might happen next on plantation soil or, you know, what, what the danger sometimes can to me, um, uh, over overtake the voice. And so I wanted that separation. I wanted it to feel as though you were in a safe space to hear these voices, to be, to commune with, with the folks um, in free water. And I felt like for myself as a writer, I got that feeling once I they crossed the bridge. I'm like, well, there's some distance I can there's some sense of safety, even though they weren't truly 100% safe, right. as you know it. But it did uh, psychologically allowed me to enjoy them, um, which I liked. And did you have a sense right away, as all of this was really fascinating, you and your imagination was going, that this was going to turn into a middle grade book? Or did you did it take a little time to figure out like how old you wanted the characters to be and kind of who this was going to be geared toward? Uh, I always wanted this to be a middle grade book. Uh, I, it, mostly because for myself, well, two, two reasons. One, I, I thought of it for my son. Um, and I looked at him and I knew that he, he liked these middle grade books and he was just thrilled with them. Of course, I didn't finish it quite in time for him to. <laughs> 
<laughs> in that middle grade age of where we would read the book to him. But that was one part. But also, too, in my own childhood, I so enjoyed, um, most enjoyed uh, in my life, I think, the, my, my most satisfying reading experiences happened in middle grade. It was when I knew that I could, one, choose any book I wanted, truly, I could read anything I wanted, and two, that um, I could allow myself to drop into a book. That's when I discovered that I could really just let myself go and 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 live in that space. And those characters really have stayed with me, um, even as I've read more, shall we say, adult and more sort of highly recognized work and things like that. The ones, the characters that stay with me were those childhood characters. And I'm curious what, as you were maybe writing, you were hoping kids would take away from the book. And then along with that, now that the book's been out in the world, and of course with winning the Newbery and Curtis Scott King Awards, it's probably getting um, lots and lots of kids, uh, even more kids reading it. I'm curious about like what kids have said to you about the book that's maybe stuck with you. So I guess kind of twofold, what you hope they'd take away and what you're hearing from kids. Oh, you know, it's, it's, what I hope they take away is of is an intangible. Um, I I I want them to have enjoyed the story, but what I want them to take away is a feeling, uh, and that feeling is I think of of extraordinary connection and understanding, and of 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 a sense of of excitement or curiosity when it comes to this topic of, of understanding what this moment in history meant and what it was and who were the people that um, managed to survive and, and managed to, in some ways, absolutely succeed because their descendants are here today. Um, so I want it to, I think that as adults, um, sadly, the legacy that many of us have of the topic of enslavement in this country has been one where we feel both, if it starts with, with fear, it's, it, it, it maybe ends with awkwardness and guilt somewhere. That's sort of the, 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 uh, right. the, uh, the, the, the spectrum <laughs> or, or the, the, the realm that we tend to, to function in as adults. And I would hope that we don't leave that legacy for our children and especially for my own son. Um, and I hope then for others and that when they hear this topic, that the first thing that may come to their mind is Homer. The first person that may come to their mind is Ada. The first person, uh, the, 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 or Suleiman or, and it, if you start in that place, then that's a wonderful place then to go out into the world and find out more of the actual history beyond the storytelling, to understand a little bit more, to hear a little bit more, to uh, maybe engage in the topic from a place of, of health as opposed to uh, as opposed to one based on fear. And then of course that fear leads to avoidance. Um, now, right. beyond that, your, your, the second part of your question is, what have I heard from kids? Now, I'll be honest in that it's relatively new. And so I have mostly I'm, I'm sort of coaxing and advertising. Um, but I have had a couple of I've had school visits where kids what they what they usually tell me is that they are just they can't believe some part of the story. They're usually like, oh my goodness, this is, 
they're like, usually the kids are kind of in the middle of it. They're like amazed. They're like, and then Suleiman, or then Ada, and then they went back. I think it's, it's this sense of excitement that they always convey, which is exactly what I would like. I understand the book does have some, there was thoughtfulness in the way I did it in, in that I do hope that it impacts in a very sort of ex- deep way. Um, but I hope that it, within it, that kids are just enjoying it. They're just, they're just right. on the ride. They're, they're, they're on the roller coaster. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and so I love that. Hello, Bookish Home podcast listeners. Thanks to our friend and host, Laura, for inviting me, Robin Witten, the editor and founder of Audiophile Magazine, to celebrate the 14th year of our beloved audiobook program for teens. It's called Audiobook Sync, and it launches on April 27th. Teens anywhere and everywhere, including international teens, can get 28 free audiobooks during the 14-week program. We have fantasy, fiction, and romance audiobooks, and really there's an audiobook to please every ear. So go to audiobooksync.com to register and find out more about Audiophile's free program and the free audiobooks for teens. And you can also find us at Audiobooksync on Twitter and Instagram. Well, and it's an interesting perspective now that, you know, the book has been out and it's won these awards and everything. And I'm curious if it took a while to like convince an agent to sign you on or like to Hmm. get the book deal. And, and, and even once Hmm. you had that, did, did you get the sense from the publisher right away that like they were going to put a lot behind this and like they knew it was a really special book or we, or Hmm. was it kind of harder, a harder journey that's a great there. uh it's a great question um it, and it's true with this subject matter yeah, I, I was nervous <laughs> like well yeah. let me tell you what the book's about okay two enslaved kids end up in a swamp i'm like ah. <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's a grabber um, um but it but it's uh, given given our history in this country you know um but i have been very fortunate um in that uh I think those people that have been that see something in it felt it quickly and strongly. So when it came to getting an agent, yes, I did have a lot of turndowns. I don't know if I had as many as most because I didn't. I didn't hunt around as much. I think as as some authors might have done. But um, but when I got an agent, they it she was so excited. It was just it was there was no maybe. There was no oh you know. Either if you got it, you really got it. And so I was so fortunate about my agent's enthusiasm and vision for it. And that, I think, bled into, yes, I got several no's um, on her on her list of queries to different publishing houses. But when I got a, a yes or a couple of them that came through, they were ex- just enthusiastic. And so it's that kind of work, I think, where if you are, if you want to go for this ride, if you, if you see where it fits, 
then it can really spark extraordinary excitement. And I did not at all have to convince my publishers to take it seriously. They they did so from day one, um, and particularly at Little Brown, um, with uh, where they they really did what they could to try to 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 cast it in a way that it would be taken seriously. So from the artwork and the ja- on the jacket to... Oh, it's um, a beautiful cover. Right, right. I, I'm just blessed, right? I'm the, I'm the lucky recipient of Cosby Cabrera's wonderful artwork to just how they they try to share it as openly and widely, I think, as they could with, through their publishing network. So I've been very fortunate. Was it on your radar, like the morning that the awards were getting announced and how did it go when you got the phone call? I'd love to hear about some of that. Uh, You know, I'll be a hundred percent honest and that I, as a debut author, I, I, I was hopeful. I was hoping to be recognized in some way. Um, And so, but I had no idea what that would have really meant. I'm like, maybe an honorary thing, you know, like perhaps that would be great, you know, but I didn't know how it was announced. I didn't know. I actually thought I'd looked on the ALA website maybe a couple days before thinking maybe they'd have printed something on their website. (laughs) (laughs) I think only librarians probably like I've been to the awards and stuff and it is this very like people don't get really that nobody gets like nominated or anything. So it's like a total surprise when they yeah. get revealed on the morning at the conference and authors get called and things. It's not even like you get a heads up that like you're in the running. It's Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. And so when I received the call, which I didn't know they did, I didn't understand that committees call people. <laughs> um, my publisher, <laughs> I, I think they, they're, it's, I actually thank them for that and that I, I wasn't sitting around waiting for a call. So I, <laughs> when it came, I was just, thrilled i'm like wow this is the the first call came from the csk committee and i started jumping up and down and i was so excited and i was shocked that the whole committee i think was on the phone which i was like wow this is amazing (laughs) (laughs) and so i was so excited that by the end of the call i wasn't quite sure if i had won the an honorary or the actual award. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like, that point you're probably like, hey, I'll I, take it. Any, any I screamed over. <laughs> yeah, I kind of screamed over the, the. He couldn't finish the guy. It didn't finish the the, the full <laughs> thing before I started <laughs> jumping up and down. And so, uh, but no, it soon became clear I even won the award, and I was just at over the moon. And so, um, and so to get the next call was just oh my goodness. Uh, I I just honestly it's like when you think you understand where you are in the world and then something like that happens it it's life changing and 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 I felt that it was like a it was like a shift um and and I and I've been riding on that that bit of amazement and wonder since yeah it's so exciting and for people that aren't really super familiar I mean the other thing now that it's one, the Newberry and Curtis Scott King, like any library that didn't have it before, like rush to order it that day. And, <laughs> you know, it's going to be in like classroom libraries that didn't have it before. And it just like shoots to every, the top of every librarian's list of like, oh, if I didn't have that yet, I've got to make sure I order it. And it's yeah. just so exciting yeah. and um, well-deserved. And Thank does you. it, you know, how do you feel now? Like it's hard enough to follow up 
any debut of, I'm sure just of hearing from different authors of like, oh, can I do it again? And am I going to find yeah. something I'm as passionate to write about? So to have a debut and to have it gotten so much success, how yeah. has it been trying to work on a sophomore <laughs> novel? <laughs> oh, you know, it's no problem. It's just, you know, <laughs> just flowing right out. It's just exactly. It's, it's just coming. No, it's, it's, it's been, it's interesting because uh, even if I hadn't won the awards, um, the, the basic concept of, of doing it again uh, was 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 daunting. Like, wow, this is this is extraordinary. Okay, what do I? And and knowing now the, the process, knowing how many revi- revisions I did, knowing I mean just just the arduousness of it. And when I did the first, because when I did the first um, when with Freewater, I tell you there was always a little part of me for each revision that was like, this is it, I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> even uh, even like revision number twenty six, I'm like, here we go, here it is, you know, <laughs> this is and the one, so, this is the one, and so that I don't have that feeling now. I kind of know that the mountain to climb, and um, it's a great mountain. I and luckily I do have some uh, inspiration. I do have ideas, and um, and luckily I did some of that work before <laughs> the awards. <laughs> Oh, that's um, good. And so that's been helpful. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to to put something else out. Um, hopefully, and is oh, is later. the next book um, historical as well? It is. It is. Hopefully, um, sharing another bit of ex- interesting and extraordinary history. Oh, we'll look forward to that. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, I want to recommend another I think you'll love, Thoughts from a Page with Cindy Burnett. Cindy is a voracious reader and book columnist who gets the inside scoop from authors about their new releases and chats with others in the book industry about the latest and greatest reads. With so many books coming out each week, it can be hard to decide what to read. Cindy finds some of the best ones and shares them with her listeners. A few of her upcoming episodes include Megan Miranda, author of The Only Survivors, Brendan Janowitz, on the Audrey Hepburn estate and Rory Campbell discussing There Will Be Fire. I hope you check out Thoughts from a Page. Listen on your favorite podcast app today. We've all gotten to um, read and um, just be kind of like swept away by free water. And I'm curious if there are any great reading experiences you've had lately, if there's any books you want to recommend to listeners. Well, you know, I'm in the middle of Salvage the Bones um, and, uh, you know, is Jasmine Ward's work. And it's my first time meeting her work and it is uh, intensely beautiful. And so I'm very appreciative of it. Um, And, you know, anytime you have a book that deals, has a lot of sort of young people to start and look, I don't know, I just love it. I, I, I love how she's casting her characters is and and I've always been attracted to books that sort of deal with around families and so that's been great and then um uh, just I always keep some like picture books on my bedstand uh, on my nightstand so I have uh, just a random assortment of of like one called Impossible Moon which is a beautiful story um picture book and um, yeah, was, uh, those are those are my those are my top picks right now. Yeah, I'll definitely link to those. And I just really hope that listeners go um, pick up free 
free water at their local bookstore, get those library holds in. Um, if any teachers or librarians are listening and you don't have um, a copy of free water yet, I hope you pick it up. I think it would be great for any middle grade book clubs, parent child book clubs, anything like that. And, and if people go to your website, is there information about like trying to book school visits and things like that? There, uh, there's a couple of things on my website I'd encourage people to look at. So, um, yes, you can, there are school visits and speaking engagements um, that they can they can contact um, me about. And then there's also a nice page I call it Cool Stuff. And so, thinking of some of the history that underlies um, free water, they I have some links that can give folks that want to know a little bit more or see a little bit behind the scenes. For example, the tree people that I have in free water were inspired by tree people actually who were in Jamaica who lived who camouflaged themselves as maroons in the in the in the in the trees um, to help uh, patrol and keep safe their maroon communities. So there's some cool truths in nuggets in the middle of what looks like a lot of fiction. Yeah, my librarian wheels are turning of like, oh, they could be using this as a classroom read, but also as a research project. And there's there's a lot you could do. could do with the book and I'll link to it as well but could you just say the website for people if they want to check it out sure it's www.aminalukeman-dawson.com okay I'll definitely put that in the show notes as well um thank you you so much for coming on congratulations again on the Newberry and the Curtis Scott King Awards um and best of luck with your next project um thank you and we'll all be eager to read it (laughs) oh absolutely (laughs) for links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode you can visit abookishhome.com if you are enjoying the show i hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcasts And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.